Hello, dear friends. This is Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite species of animals, we review them and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts. We do a lot of research and try our best to make sure we're presenting information from trustworthy sources. Do you think maybe one of these days we should just record that intro rather than having to say it every single time? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) That's probably what real podcasters do. They probably record it and just do it the one time, right? I think so. But this gives (laughs) us the opportunity to banter, right? Just for the audience to listen to us mess it up in different ways. (laughs) It adds a little bit of flavor to each episode. Oh, you know what? This week we have two invertebrates that we're talking about. We're taking y'all to the no bone zone this week. (laughs) (laughs) Leave your bones at the door, folks. Was it the Florida Aquarium? That has that in Tampa? Mm-hmm. The no-bone zone? Yeah, the no-bone zone, where they got all their invertebrates. But it's like a touch tank. You can like reach in and touch them. Yeah. I don't recommend touching your animal this week. Nope. But that's a, <laughs> that's a surprise for later. Um, I also have an invertebrate this week. What you got? This week I'm talking about the periodical cicada. Oh, okay. Yes. This is one that you're probably hearing a lot about right now. They're in the news big time. And I'll talk about why that is in just a moment. It's because they're saying all the wrong things on Twitter, aren't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, periodical cicadas are uh, a real milkshake duck in this moment right now. Came under fire. They're posting too many hot takes on Twitter.com. The genus is called Magicicada. Oh, that's nice. I know it has magic in it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And and it is a little bit magical what they do. It's really cool. Um, so I'm getting my information on them from both Animal Diversity Web and the University of Connecticut via cicadas.ucon, so U-C-O-N-N dot E-D-U. So they have a great wealth of information on cicadas at their website. All right. So if you're not very familiar with cicadas... Um, cicadas are not that big. They're only about an inch and a half long, which in metric is just under four centimeters. So they're not huge. These, these aren't at least, I I think there's some cicadas that get pretty hefty. Hmm. Um, these though aren't these particular types of cicadas are found in the Eastern half of the United States, not as far down South as we're in. Unfortunately, we're in Florida and they do not come here. Um, these periodical cicadas don't make it down here. So the cicadas that we've seen, or I guess the shed skin of them, are not this one. Yeah, it's not not quite the ones that I'm talking about. But we do have cicadas. There's yes. tons and tons and tons of different types of cicadas. They're kind of commonly associated with just like summer vibes in general. <laughs> because like that's how you know it's summertime. It's just you hear those screaming bugs. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bagpipe drone. <laughs> That is kind of what it's like. It's like it's <laughs> you hear that sound, and I feel like when you hear the drone of a cicada, your body temperature just like subconsciously rises. <laughs> like you just start to feel warm because you hear that cicada sound. So my face contorts into hot face like, <laughs> you have the sun in the, like right there. So. You just start like involuntarily sweating. Like, no, I hate this. <laughs> so there are three thousand two hundred species of cicadas. That's too many. That's a lot. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Maybe they could have just done like a few and been like, that's really enough. That's all you really need. Cicadas are true bugs. We've talked about this before, how like, please don't at me for calling things bugs that are definitely not true bugs. Mm-hmm. Cicadas are true bugs. Excellent. Yeah, this means that they belong to the order Hemiptera. So they're bugs. They're real ones. (laughs) I do take a lot of liberty with the word bug, though, which I've heard from entomologists. You're allowed to do that. It's okay. I got permission from bug scientists. (laughs) You got that laminated card in your wallet. I do. I have. I'm a little card carrying. It's okay for me to call things bugs. It's right there. I have the, the certification. So cicadas are sometimes called locusts. Really? But they're not locusts. Okay. Sometimes people call them locusts mistakenly. Locusts are a different thing. Right. They're closer to grasshoppers, aren't they? Yes. So locusts are like types of grasshoppers. Yeah. Cicadas are not at all locusts, but well, sometimes people just call them that. So the biblical use of locusts. Was the grasshopper one. Okay. Just making sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we got them in spades where we live. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of them, just not these periodical cicadas. So I'm specifically going to be talking about the Magicicada okay. genus, of which there are seven species. If you've never listened to this podcast before, we, as I mentioned at the top, we review animals and rate them out of 10. And the first category that we rate them on is effectiveness, which is physical adaptations to their body that let them do a good job of the things that they're trying to do as animals. I'm giving them a six okay. out of 10. Which I think is a low ball. <laughs> it's, it's not like a, an awesome score. Yeah. So the reason that you're probably hearing a lot about cicadas right now is because of the really unique life cycle of the periodical cicada. So what happens is members of this Magicicada genus, they group up together in these really, really huge factions kind of called broods. And females of the brood lay their eggs inside of trees. And in the summertime, the little baby cicadas in this stage of their life called a nymph, um, where they don't have any wings, they're just crawling around on the ground. And the nymphs, they have these really strong legs. So all of the nymphs dig into the ground, and they burrow there, and they stay there. This one species of periodical cicada stays underground for 17 years. Mm. There's other species that do it for 13, but um, the one that stays underground for 17 years is Magic Cicada Septendecim, which is like Latin for like seven and 10, Uh, 17. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So while they're underground, the nymphs are eating and they're molting. They're molting through these like stages of their nymph life cycle. Oh, so they're not just in hibernation this whole time no no they're not just like sleeping they're they're eating and they're molting and they're living their little nymph life underground um so the 17 year one does this for as i mentioned 17 years yeah the whole time they're just living underground eating and molting eating and molting eating and molting over and over again so that's a huge lifespan for insects yeah for like a little dude um yeah they live under for 17 years not more not less. Oh. Exactly 17 years. <laughs> okay. It's it's really actually very mysterious how they're able to keep track. Uh, scientists know that what they're keeping track of is the number of times the trees are losing and regrowing their leaves. So when the winter passes and the trees around them like shed their leaves and then grow them back, they keep track of that. And huh. when that happens 17 times... Once the soil around them warms to 64 degrees Fahrenheit, 
all of the nymphs arise from the soil as one every single one of them it, it, like sometimes it's overnight every single cicada oh. in the brood they all come out of the ground at once so all these nymphs come out of the ground and they do their final molt where they um will kind of like stick onto a tree right. their whole exoskeleton like hardens and then they emerge from it with wings mm-hmm. as an adult cicada and then they got to dry off and harden up and then they flitter away, leaving behind an empty husk of a cicada nymph um, that you can find all over the place. You can find these empty little ghost shells right. of cicadas all over the place. So it can be kind of wild that like I'm talking billions of cicadas that are in this one particular brood called brood 10. Mm-hmm. There's billions of them. This brood stretches across 15 different states of the United States. I mean, it's like half of the entire country that just erupts overnight with these cicadas. Wow. Yeah. This particular brood that people are kind of have their eye on right now, they went underground in 2004. And this year, they think within the next few weeks or so, um, the brood will come out. And then <laughs> it's party time. <laughs> so does that imply there are 17 broods? I think there's more than 17 broods. It's just brood 10 is just one of the broods of this. There's like different groups that have gone underground at different times. Okay. Um, So this one all went underground in 2004. Okay. And they're all going to come out this year. And it's going to be wild. I guess the way I was thinking of it, like this brood emerges, I assume one of the things they're doing is reproducing. Mm -hmm. And then their offspring is also brood 10. I guess is how I was thinking of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like they'll go underground, like they'll they'll come out of the ground, reproduce, and then their babies will go underground, and they'll come out in twenty. What is this? Thirty eight. Yeah. That's so math, right. So the folks that are keeping track of it is that, is that <laughs> the naming convention? Like th- that they will also be brood ten. Yeah, oh. because that's like there's other different broods around the country that all have different numbers. Oh. Okay. I guess I thought it was purely time based. No, not okay. necessarily. Okay. Because it's not like there's just one brood of the... It's not like every single one of the whole species is going underground at the same time. Okay. It's just different groups of the same species Understood. are going... Yeah. Okay. So this is the big one. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about this like molting cycle because it's referenced a lot um, because it's such... I think it's a cool thing like the, that they leave behind this like perfect little sculpture of themselves. Yeah. Like when they come out of their little nymph form. This is referenced by a Pokemon. Yes. It's a cool Pokemon that actually... So I was a little kid when this game came out that this Pokemon was in, and I did not appreciate this at the time when it came out. (laughs) (laughs) The Pokemon is called Ninkata. Um, This is a bug-type Pokemon that is based on the Cicada Nymph. So it's the little one with no wings. Right. I think it's actually ground-type, isn't it? Like bug and ground? I think so, I think it's bug and ground. When it evolves, when it hits the right level... If you have an empty slot in your party, it will evolve into two Pokemon at the same time. (laughs) So it evolves into Ninjask, which is based on the adult form of the cicada that is a bug and flying type. But it also evolves into Shedinja, which is a bug and ghost type, which is based on the empty husk of the cicada. That's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Like, that really did not resonate with me so much as a kid and then now as an adult like understanding that that's a whole reference to the entire life cycle of the cicada 
That's with, awesome. I mean, because without that reference, that seems like a bizarre mechanic for Pokemon. It seemed really, really weird to me at the time. I was like, why didn't, why this, you know, like <laughs> right. to me at the time, I was like, why this yeah. little weird bug gets a ghost evolution? Like, I thought that was just very it strange. It turns into two Pokemon, basically. Yeah, it's really weird. But but knowing more, having the context about the cicada life cycle, it's actually really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So I did want to just have a little shout out there for that cool that was, little Pokemon. That was third generation, wasn't it? Yes, okay. it was. That was Ruby and Sapphire yes. and Emerald, which I think falls in line with a lot of other like Pokemon. A lot of other Pokemon are designed based on actual real life like zoology, mm-hmm. right? It's very cool. So once the cicadas are above ground, fully winged and ready to party, they've only got about six weeks of life left. Yeah. So they spent 17 years <laughs> in the dirt crawling through the soil And then they finally come up to enjoy all of the abundant beauty and splendor that nature has to offer. And they got six weeks left. So they use that time to do some serious field playing. So they're out there um, screaming. They gather in these groups that are called choruses. And the choruses are where the screaming pops off. So the male cicadas have these really thin membranes in their abdomens that are called timbles. Kind of like cymbals, but with a T. Okay. And they vibrate those timbles to make a loud rattling sound. And that is what attracts other cicadas as well as potential mates. So they all get together in this big, huge swarm and just all scream together. And it's a great time. Chorus might be a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Giving them a little credit. <laughs> yeah. What, what would you call it? Coffee can full of nails going down the <laughs> stairs. <laughs> extremely loud especially considering that with these types of cicadas since they're all coming out at the exact same time this can be up to a million or more cicadas per acre a million cicadas in an acre and they're all screaming wow so the sound is deafening um i've heard people say it causes migraines like i've i've heard from people who like have been in the thick of it say like you'll get migraines you can't think it's just extremely um disruptive imagine to to everything going on at the time um so i did give them a six out of ten for effectiveness i took off some points considering that they are completely unarmed they cannot bite they cannot sting they don't have venom they don't have poison they don't have armor like you know like some bugs will have this kind of like thick exoskeleton to protect them they have nothing they're sitting ducks (laughs) so if they can't bite does that mean this is another one of the you know insects where in their adult form they don't have the ability to eat no they can eat they can eat yeah um they eat as adults but they are mostly just trying to make more just trying to make babies. <laughs> sure, sure. Because it started to sound a lot like the moth cycle, just mm-hmm. very stretched out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, they can eat as adults. It's just that's not really their first and foremost goal. That's not okay. exactly what's on their mind in that moment. Got it. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're kind of sitting ducks, which brings me to the category of ingenuity. So for ingenuity, I give them an 8 out of 10. Oh, really? So this is kind of where they make up for it a little bit. Okay. And so ingenuity for us is behavioral adaptations that let an animal solve problems that it faces on a daily basis or something like that. Just things it's doing with its body Mm -hmm. to do a good job. Uh, And I give it an 8 out of 10, not for any particular cleverness that they're showing, but because the brooding behavior is a very, like, intentional strategy 
The idea is that if all of the cicadas at once are going underground and then they all come out at the exact same time in these massive numbers, what they're essentially going for is that the predators can't eat all of them. Yes. <laughs> so they're like oversaturating the market, basically, <laughs> and setting out an all-you-can-eat buffet and banking on the predators like filling up mm-hmm. on enough cicadas that there will be so many of them left over that the predators simply can't keep up with how many there are. Right. So just supply has astronomically outpaced demand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so it's kind of a strategy, right? If you're going to be so vulnerable that predators can basically just open their mouths and walk through a cloud of you and just take out a good batch, you know, at the species level, you're still going to persist because there's just so many of you. They've <laughs> yeah. really um, gone more for quantity over quality. <laughs> <laughs> I did also want to say while we're in the category of ingenuity is that there is a little bit of a language to the sounds that they produce. Really? Yeah. So they have different calls that mean different things. One type of call that summons other cicadas to them to like join in a chorus And then they have courtship calls. They also have alarm calls that will alert the other cicadas around them to a predator. Basically, they just have these different ways that they're using these timbal organs in their body to communicate with the other cicadas around them. Okay. So it's not just one scream forever. Right. It's it's not just a dr- like you said like a bagpipe drone where it's just <laughs> like the one just the one sort of constant sound that they all always make. Now, I I did want to say that their timing is not perfect. Okay. Sometimes you'll get stragglers. Hmm. So some of the cicadas will emerge out of sync with the rest of the brood. Oh, no. So every once in a while, you'll get like a couple, like a little handful that maybe they got their count wrong or maybe they jumped the gun and the soil hadn't quite warmed to the right temperature yet and they jumped (laughs) out before all the other cicadas did. Um, But sometimes you will get a straggler or two. You know, sometimes it can be a a little chunk of them, but basically their their timing is not 100% perfect. Um, It's a little bit sad almost. Yeah, it's the loneliest cicada. It reminds me of that movie Passengers where they're on that <laughs> they're on a spaceship that's going to I don't know. Someplace. It's going somewhere where like the voyage is hundreds and hundreds of years and they're all meant to be like in cryostasis. Right. But they wake up in the middle of the voyage and so it's like there's no way by the time they get to their destination they'll be like dead of old age. Right. But nobody else around them is awake. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of sad and it reminds me a little bit of that but uh, they're not perfect but I still do think that like at least if they don't have any means of really protecting themselves at least they have numbers on their side (laughs) (laughs) and they're doing something with it right by like all sort of syncing up together and behaving almost almost like as one giant animal Mm -hmm. it's I think that's pretty cool that's why I gave them an 8 out of 10 for ingenuity Final category is aesthetics. Even like a seven, six, six, maybe a seven out of ten. Um, they're black. They have bright red eyes, and their wings and their legs are like an orangey color. Mm-hmm. So I think this sort of gives them almost a volcanic sort of aesthetic. You know, Ooh. they have like you know sleek black. 
And then these accents of red and orange. You know, I like that sort of thing. Like, yeah. I love that look. I think that's pretty cool. Otherwise, nothing spectacular. You know, they're not super cool. They look like a bug. What can, sure. what can you say, really? Um, that's it. That's all I got. That's the <laughs> that's the periodical cicada. Um, if you live in the part of the United States where they will be emerging this year, I would absolutely love it if you could report back to us and tell us what it sounds like because we don't live there and I would love to hear it, but I also don't want to live where it's happening because <laughs> I am very much glad that we don't have to be immersed in it at all yeah, times. That's yeah. pretty great. We get our own frog scream. Oh my gosh, our frogs are so loud. Our frogs in our backyard. I post videos of it on Twitter sometimes because it's like we can hear them from inside the house upstairs. That's how loud our frogs are. Yeah. Um, I did also want to say about just like the general sound of a cicada. If you watch a lot of anime, that is often how the people making the anime convey to you that it is summer by just like there's like a stock sound of cicadas that just plays constantly in the background of a lot of anime and it's immediately identifiable. It sounds different from ours though. You know, I guess that makes sense. It sounds different from ours. They have different cicadas in Japan than we do. So ours are have a little bit more of like a constant droning scream and theirs have a little bit more of like a, like a, yeah. I can already see it. Cut to outdoor school, like basketball court, <laughs> mm-hmm. looking at hot asphalt with a basketball on there, and just mm-hmm. and you just hear those yep. in the background. Yep. If you watched a Neon Genesis Evangelion, that was basically the entire show. Like <laughs> it was like they just took a sound bite of the cicada and looped it for the entire series. Just the whole thing had that cicada underneath it. <laughs> So, I love them. I think they're cool dudes. Thanks, baby. Of course. Hey, friends. I wanted to take a really quick second to give a shout out to our patrons on Patreon who make this show possible. This week, I would like to give a thank you to Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, April Kamik, Sarah Peterson, Vikram Baliga, Bree Feinberg, Britt Vickstrom, Dalton Weeks, Diane Clare, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Patricia Morgan, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist Podcast. Thank you all so much for helping make the show happen. So, Christian, what is your animal this week? I'm really excited for it. This week I'm bringing the Portuguese man-o'-war. Yes, this is a good one. Sometimes referred to as the man-o'-war jellyfish. Is it a jellyfish? It is not. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll get to that. Scientific name, Fasalia fasalis. Species was submitted by Chili Lorn on Twitter. Thank you, Lauren. I'm I'm really glad that you picked up my slack on this one because I did not want to do this animal because it was so intimidating to me. It's not so bad. It's not? I'm glad. Yeah. So I'm getting my information from National Geographic at nationalgeographic.com, NOAA at oceanservice.noaa.gov, the Fordham Museum at fordhammuseum.ufl.edu, and finally, Animal Diversity Web at animaldiversity.org. What a lineup. Yeah, little bits and pieces here and there. All-star cast. Dream team. First, let me describe what they look like. Okay. Give me a general idea. Mm-hmm. So they do look a lot like a jellyfish. So jellyfish have like this bell at the top and then tentacles, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then that, Dangly bits. Yeah. And, you know, the size and shape of those can vary quite a bit depending on the species. This looks a lot like that, but again, not a jellyfish. Mm. Um, so it has a top part that is called the float. Uh, that is around 12 inches or 30 centimeters long. Can I take a guess at where you will find the float on the water? Yes. Is it at the surface? Almost always. Almost always. Yes. And that float is also five inches wide or 13 centimeters wide. That's pretty big. Yeah. Like What? You think like football size? About. About? Yeah. It can be. American football size. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Not football. No, no, no football. <laughs> They're named after the 18th century Portuguese wooden warship. Okay. Because you know, these are the big, big wooden warships with billowy sails. So this is kind of looks like that when it's sitting when the float is sitting on top of the water. Mm, this is very piratey. Yeah. I'm feeling like some sea of thieves. <laughs> energy. Now, I didn't talk about their tentacles. Okay. Yet, but Not I yet. will. Because oh. <laughs> their size is important. But before that, their taxonomic family is Phyllacidae. They are related to other siphonophores. Really? They themselves are a siphonophore. First category effectiveness. Giving the Man of War a 7 out of 10. That's only just a little bit better than mine did. (laughs) So my first point is they are many and not one. They are many? Yes, and not one. Meaning, so what they are is instead of one organism, they are actually comprised of several, many, many smaller organisms that Mm. are specialized to do particular tasks. Okay. Those small creatures are called zooids. Zooids? Yes, spelled Z-O-O-I-D-S. Okay. So, at first I thought that was zooids. <laughs> but upon a quick search, it seems to be pronounced zooids. The man of war consists of four different types of polyps. And so these are the types of zooids that do specialized things. Okay. So they have their pneumatophore, which is the gas-filled bladder on the top that lets it float. They have dactylozooids, which are the tentacles. Quite a word, huh? Yes, it's quite a bit. (laughs) Like I said, I'll be talking more about those. Okay. The third one is gastrozooids, which is their digestive system. And the final one is the gonozooids. Gonozooids. Gonozooids? (laughs) Which is their reproductive organisms. Okay. This is like a city. (laughs) The whole animal is like a metropolis. <laughs> so those are like the, the basic four specialized organisms that that make up the overall structure. Okay. So I want to talk about the tentacles. Yeah. What's so, that all about? So this is another reason they are often mistaken for jellyfish, because they have a similar defense mechanism as jellyfish, where they have tentacles that sting. Mm-hmm. So on average... The man tentacles are 30 feet or 9 meters long. That's way too many. Can be as long as 165 feet or 50 meters. Why do you want to go that far? Because <laughs> the top part of the, the float yeah. is not that big. It's not. So it's going so far down there. Yep. Is it trying to catch stuff down there? It is, but it also behaves as an anchor. An anchor? Yeah. Really? So in the same way where a big ship in the middle of the ocean drops anchor, you know, Mm -hmm. of course, that anchor doesn't normally actually go all the way down to the seabed. Sure. It limits uh, movement that goes against the water, like relative to the the anchor. Okay. okay. It's kind of like the difference between pushing your hand directly into water and then moving it from side to side in water. So, I see. So you'll notice you'll have a lot more resistance trying to move it side to side. Right. That does make sense. Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like 
just dragging it down yeah. basically okay yeah so these tentacles are covered in venom-filled nematocysts that paralyze and kills fish and other small creatures so they're just like dropping these little <laughs> death nets <laughs> into the water like hope something it's it yeah uh so these are meant to kill smaller fish for it to eat um but of course they can hurt other things they are very painful to humans rarely deadly however that's comforting, at least. Yeah. But they're rarely deadly. Story time. Yes. I have supposedly been stung by a man of war. Have you really? Yes. <laughs> How did this come about? When I was young, probably six or seven-ish, my dad took me fishing uh, off of this beach on the Gulf of Mexico part of Florida, so West Florida, and was fishing in the water. So I was standing in the water, uh, maybe up to my knees at the time. So I was, I was young, so it was not too deep. Um, and got stung. Huh. Um, I didn't actually see what stung me because whatever it did, as soon as it hit, I hightailed it to the, yeah, to the shore. I would hope so. It hurt bad. Oh, no. So how do you know it was a man of war? And that's just what my dad and others present thought it was because of the way it looks like. Oh. Because with the, with the man of war stings, it looks as if someone took a piece of wire that was red hot mm -hmm. and it touches your skin. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I say supposedly because, of course, uh, not confirmed, but that was the thought. So might have been just a jellyfish. Could well, listen, been. none of us were there. So <laughs> you could just say that it happened and we all have to take your word for it. I didn't. Uh, but I, you know, just covering my bases in case someone says, like, oh, there's no man of war in the Gulf of Mexico. I don't know. <laughs> well, I will I will say that, you know, as a, as a kid, my dad and his family lived in Tampa, mm -hmm. which is in the area you're talking about. It's in the, on the western coast of Florida. So it's yeah. up against the Gulf of Mexico. And I do remember actually being at the beach in Tampa mm -hmm. and we we were walking along the beach and we did see multiple um what is it men of war man of wars <laughs> are they men of war what do you call them I don't I don't, know. whatever the plural of them is there were a bunch of them uh <laughs> beached on on the sand yes and we didn't go near them good um, idea and there's a reason <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm glad so that's funny because my next point about the tentacles is that they can still sting when separated from the rest of the body or even when the man of war has died. That does make sense. <laughs> that makes sense because the nematocyst is like a mechanical thing, right? right? It's not like a it's not like a chemical thing. I mean, eventually the pieces that make up that cell will also die and break down. But until that happens, they're ready to go. Right. <laughs> and here's the thing, the tentacles, you know, we talk about 30 feet long. If they get separated from body, they're hard to see. They're just floating around in the ocean. Ugh. This is a recipe for beach disaster. <laughs> yeah. There could just be 30 feet of dental floss. <laughs> Basically. That will ruin your day yep. just strung about the beach. Yeah. And then the final thing about it is the, the tentacles also contain muscles to move food to its digestive organisms, which are like at the top. Okay. So again, very jellyfish-like. Mm-hmm. Also reminds me a little bit of the vampire squid. How yeah, it had that's the, true. That long tendril that it would like grab things and pull it up to its mouth with. Yep. So other things about its effectiveness, it has in terms of what it can sense, right? Because you know it doesn't have eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's true. Ears. Yeah. What kind of information are they taking in about it has the world? <laughs> sensory cells for touch and temperature. Okay. That's it. That's it. That's all. <laughs> And the biggest, I would say, negative to its effectiveness score is its movement. 
It yeah, has, let's talk about locomotion. <laughs> it has no means of self-propulsion. It moves by riding currents and the wind pushing its nematophore or the float. So it is just 100% at the mercy of the environment around yep. it. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to ingenuity. Probably not very surprising. I'm giving a 3 out of 10 for ingenuity. 3? <laughs> Poor baby. <laughs> While it is comprised of many organisms, and perhaps you could apply the more heads are better than one. <laughs> or alternately, none of us is as stupid as all of us. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I really have to talk about ingenuity-wise is um, it has the ability to deflate the airbag to submerge to avoid threats on the surface. Now, see, that's something. Yeah. That's something that counts. Now, how it would come to know about these threats, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like by the time it is aware of that threat, it's probably too late. That's right, because it has to essentially be at melee range. <laughs> right. Something bumps into it. So, yeah, like you mentioned, you know, there's not a whole lot stopping it from being beached. And then at that point, it's like, what are those... What are those tendrils going to do for you at that point? Nothing. <laughs> Just take revenge on beachgoers, I guess. It's out of spite, really. <laughs> so moving on to the final category of aesthetics. I'll give it a 6 out of 10. Because uh, they are blue and purple. And I love those colors. It's yeah. a great color combo. <laughs> and they are partially transparent. Yeah, they do look. <laughs> they do look like a little balloon floating around out there, right? Yeah. And they look all like wrinkly too. Like they really do look like little sacks of air just floating on yep. top of the water. Yep. But do not play with that balloon. No, no keepy uppy. Like I know how people one. say, like, oh, the top of the jellyfish doesn't sting. You can touch that. I wouldn't even chance it with this. <laughs> Because if it's on the beach, there's a good chance it got like wrapped up in its own tentacles and stuff. Or, you know, if it's 30 feet long, you could step on it long before even getting to that piece of the, the, the man of war. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> this thing is just like laying. It's just turning the beach into like a giant minefield. Yeah. So places that experience a lot of these things will a lot of times have advisories of just, you know, just don't today. <laughs> <laughs> It's best that you not. Yeah. <laughs> Don't bother. Beach trip canceled. Yeah. Their conservation status is not evaluated by the IUCN. Uh, and they do have predators, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. So the violet sea snail builds a bubble raft. <gasps> a bubble raft? Yes. I love basically that. Basically out of its saliva, basically. And floats at the surface upside down. What? In the hopes of finding a man of war to eat. Ah. Uh. They're like, ooh, ooh, I, boy, I hope I come across one of these dudes. Yep. And another predator is actually a familiar species. It's the sea slugs in the Glaucus genus. So we talked, you talked about one of these before. I did way back when. That was one of our first episodes. Mm -hmm. This is a shot at redemption for me because that episode is famously the one where I pronounced the word nudibranch incorrectly the oh. entire episode. <laughs> I think I only said it like two or three times probably, but still, I said it wrong the whole time. I said nudibranch. That's not how it's pronounced. Well, now you know. Now I do. <laughs> so the, the blue glaucus, the sea slug, eats the man of war nematocysts and all mm -hmm. like just devours even those crazy like stinging cells and the glaucus is immune to the sting of the cells and not only doesn't get stung by the cells but stores the cells in its own body passes them through its own digestive system stores it and turns them into its own little weapon system 
So like uses the same stinging cells from the man of war for itself mm-hmm. and becomes becomes venomous by eating the man of war. It's really, really cool. It's like the sea slug by itself doesn't produce its own venom, but steals venom yeah, from the yeah. man of war. So we'd seen this before in other animals like the poison tree dart. Wait, poison poison dart tree frog. Poison dart frog. There we go. Poison dart frog. <laughs> that was that was a journey that we went on together. <laughs> I knew you could do it. Yeah, don't they like they eat other things that make them venomous? Yes, termites and ants and stuff. Yeah, so like when you have one that's been kept in captivity and hasn't eaten those things, it's totally fine. Yep, that's a thought. I wouldn't test it. No, please don't. <laughs> please don't take our word for it. Also, like just be chill. Don't handle frogs unnecessarily because. Of their delicate skin. Yeah. If there's one thing you get from this podcast episode, it's don't handle poison dart frogs. Or any other frogs. <laughs> or anything. Don't interact <laughs> with anything, ever. <laughs> so that's the man of war. Woo. Excellent. Thank you so much. <laughs> this animal was so mysterious to me. I appreciate you enlightening me on them. Anytime. Our baby's going to implode. <laughs> <laughs> He's losing his mind. <laughs> Did you, Saifana, forget about me? <laughs> that was a bad joke. <laughs> that was horrible. I did it. Someone someone just unsubscribed right now. <laughs> well, thank you, darling. That was great. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that about does it for us this week. I'm going to wrap up as fast as I can because the baby's getting fussy. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. Leave us a review. That would be really nice if you did that. I would appreciate that personally. I love that. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, special thanks to Louis Ong for allowing us to use his track Adventuring off of his album B-Sides as our intro and outro music. I think that's it. Yeah. Is that everything? I think so. Okay. Special thanks to Finley for only being a little bit of a disaster this week. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye.